0: everyone. So today on our Maddie's Footprints podcast, we are very happy to have our special guest, Lauren Artigo. We are so glad that she has joined us today and is willing to share her stories and advice to moms um, who are either thinking of conceiving or have also suffered a loss. So thank you so much, Lauren, for being here.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Why don't we begin, Lauren, by kind of sharing your story with us?
1: Okay. Um, I would say um, it kind of would start around our anatomy scan. <clears throat> so it was probably 18 or 20 weeks whenever I had um, our anatomy scans, like I was telling you earlier. I even remember, like, what I was wearing on the day. And we had waited all day the ultrasound tech wasn't there, it was like chaos before it even happened. We finally got in and the ultrasound tech was measuring and looking and asked me a very specific question. I didn't remember it happening before. So he'd asked me if my water bag had busted or if I'd noticed anything like that. And I I knew that that was not like a normal question, I guess, that they would ask. So I kind of immediately had like, the race in heart, like, okay, something's going on. And he was pretty quiet and, um, they measured everything. Um, ended up kind of waiting around to see my doctor after, which she was heaven sent. I actually ended up, I switched doctors for this pregnancy randomly. And I'm so glad that I did because she handled me with so much care and was so gentle. And, um, I really think like that God put her there for me for whatever reason, Um, she wanted me to see a specialist, but also do, um, they have a test that they can do on you to see if your water bag has busted and, um, that came back negative. And then I ended up seeing a specialist and at first, um, everything was kind of confusing. The doctors were not sure exactly what was going on. My fluid level was like, not a little bit low, it was like extremely low to the point where. They actually have a procedure. I didn't know this, I guess, and I wouldn't have known until I was pregnant, you know, for this pregnancy that they can actually inject. If your um, fluid level is low, they can inject like a saline solution to make the ultrasound look more clear because what makes the ultrasound clear is the the fluid fluid in there. Right. They could not even consider that without like poking her. That's how like low my fluid level was. However, when they did the ultrasound, they could see, because these 4D ultrasounds are things they can do nowadays, it's crazy. They could actually see amniotic fluid going through, um, her body. Well, at this time we were not sure if it was a her or not, but it was a her. And, um, traveling through like her bladder, which was very strange to them because they could not see her kidneys. So that was the ultimate reason I was going to the specialist, but it just didn't make sense. Um, I guess around like 13 weeks or so, the mother's body stops making amniotic fluid and the baby's body creates it. So the, the baby swallows the amniotic fluid and then TTS it out and then it's a cycle. So that's how they create the fluid. So they were confused as to why I didn't have any fluid on the outside but they could still see it happening on the inside it just like everything was kind of up in the air still but we knew like something just wasn't right um this particular specialist to um let us know that there was probably only a 35 percent chance of survival at this time if what she thought was correct that her both kidneys were missing um she actually asked us, if we wanted to abort our pregnancy. And I was mortified that someone would even ask me that if there was a chance of survival. And... That I, was not even a question. No, not even, no. Um, which was strange, I guess. And maybe in there, you know, she does this all the time. So maybe there is people that would do that, which was not even a thought for us. So um, I think we ended up going back maybe... A month later or so, and there was less amniotic fluid on the inside of baby. So what we saw before, um, there was this time there was no bladder. Um, there was not as much amniotic fluid p- present, I guess, in her body. But so Lauren,
0: when did they give you the actual diagnosis? Honestly, it
1: wasn't until she was born. So whenever they are looking for baby's kidneys, it's more of like a shadow because they can't measure. If I remember correctly, like they can't measure the mass of them. They just kind of know where they are, and it's almost like a shadow behind something else, and they just weren't seeing that. Okay. Um. So, I I the same uh specialist asked us the same forbidden question to us, and we were not happy, and we ended up going somewhere else, and um we drove to New Orleans every three weeks to go do an ultrasound, and the bigger the baby got, the less we could see because the fluid was so little, it, the fluid kind of stayed the same, but she grew, which like blew them away, I mean, I was expected to carry around 23 weeks, and we made it past that, um, because the doctors told me I needed to be prepared to have a stillborn baby. So um, emotionally, that was a lot to take in. So um, the anticipation of that possibly happened was nerve wracking. I was counting kicks, you know, in the middle of the night, every night. There was not
0: a lot of sleep involved because I was afraid I was going to, you know, I was going to miss those. And that's kind of what I wanted to ask. Like, how was it leading up to the delivery?
1: I think... An emotional roller coaster would be kind of the correct term to use because you, with someone who has faith, there's still hope. Right. When you hear the number, okay, there's this percentage. Will you still have this percentage? And that, to me, is like if I have to hold on to that, then that's what I'm going to hold on to. That's that's my hope. And if I didn't have that hope, I think it would have been way worse than any than anything I could imagine, but I had that little bit of hope and we, we prayed a lot. We prayed for more like specific things, you know, to get past this mark, you know, and then I wasn't supposed to make it past 30 weeks. and I made it past 30 weeks. So it was like, every time we hit that mark, we prayed for the next specific thing. Um, I actually have an ultrasound and, um, picture of her head and it looks like she's praying and I still have that. And like, to me, that was one of like the biggest relief signs I ever had like okay like she's got she knows what's going on like she's probably praying for us and here we are you know in a tizzy right. and she's like yeah we
0: we okay we're going to be okay um now, Lauren you said it was an emotional roller coaster for you how was your husband I think he
1: his main focus was me he was so worried about my well-being and taking care of me and getting me where I needed to be and making sure that my stress level was very low and he did a really good job of that um now at times I think he kind of forgot about himself which um I think men kind of do that in a sense anyways right. but he was more or less worried about my protecting protecting you. me yes of course in my heart and um I remember she wasn't supposed to turn she was breech and she did so I went into labor, I think I was 37 weeks, and I had a C-section scheduled like two weeks after that, and I had never really experienced going into labor because my previous um birth experience, I was induced. So I was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Like, we can't drive to New Orleans. So they t- had told, I had called my doctor, and she was like, go ahead and go straight to Lafayette, to women's and children's. And um, that's another one of those things where like, I'm so glad we did because they they took so, I wouldn't have found out about Maddie's footprints if I wouldn't have went there, you know? They right. took so great, such great care of us, and I went into the hospital, had no idea who the doctor was, I called my doctor on the phone and handed him my cell phone, It was like, I need you to talk to my doctor, you know, and I labored for probably, I don't know, of five hours or so and they tried to stop my labor because they were actually going to try and get me to new orleans by ambulance and everything they did did not work so i i finally told my doctor i was like okay like we're we're gonna have a baby today it's gonna happen and we're gonna do it here like i'm ready Uh, um and you were
0: at peace with it
1: i was i was very like okay this is this is what's about to happen and and we need let's do it um my mom drove in from Mississippi, my sister drove in, my husband was there, um, his brother was there, one of my cousins came, and, um, they came in my room, and we started, um, saying the Lord's Prayer, and we had, like, a little prayer session, and they took me back to the, I guess, what is you, the OR, right, my ter- I don't know my termo- terminology, and one of the Specific things that we prayed for was to hear her cry, and we did. Wow! So she had this little, I don't know, like a little meek, like squeaky little cry, and it was the most beautiful sound I think I ever heard
0: a sound that you'll always remember, yes. for sure.
1: And um, it's crazy to think too, she was so full and fat, and like had the fat little cheeks and her fat little belly, so. She, From the outside, she looked perfectly healthy, Um, except when she turned head down and wasn't supposed to, I'm going to tell you how determined she was. She actually dislocated her hip, turning head down, like, to, to get ready. Yeah. And ultimately, her diagnosis was bilateral renal agenesis, which she was missing both kidneys. They did an ultrasound. And then... Um, however, the actual cause of death was just her her lungs weren't developed because my amniotic, I didn't have that amniotic fluid to help her expand her lung range. And if she would have survived, then what she would have been put on immediate dialysis? Um, but they kind of were at a point where they, I think they just didn't know what else to do. And one of the thoughts I had through the journey of getting prepared to <laughs> deliver was what if I have to make a choice? You know, I was so worried like if I made the wrong choice or if I chose to do something that wasn't right. And I, I can remember going over that in my head. Okay. If this happens, then maybe I'll choose this. Or if this happens, maybe I'll choose this. Um, but they took me to recovery and I wasn't there very long. And then they ended up re- Rolling me to the NICU, and this is one of those other things. that The nurse kind of bent down and she asked me if, oh, if I wanted her to call the priest, and I said yes. And um, we wheeled back, and I, like I didn't really think twice about it. Well, he was already there, like they didn't have to call him in. He had already been there for whatever reason, coming to visit somebody, and he came and met us in the NICU and. We all sat around her and we all prayed together. And they asked me if I wanted to hold her and I told them yes. Um, so when they first handed her to me, this is when that decision thing, I guess, kind of kicked in. They, She still had her like the tubes down her throat and all of her tubing and things on her face. And I looked at my husband and I was like, you know, I asked the nurse, I was like, why do you still have all of these things on her? And they said, well, for autopsy purposes, we have to keep that attached to her. And I was like, you know, I want it all off. I want to hold, oh my gosh, I, um, I want to hold her. That's right. Like, I would hold a a, my, a normal baby. Like, I want the experience to be as normal as possible. And I wanted her to look As normal as possible just like my other baby you know just like any other baby would and I just knew then that I I knew what the decision was I wanted all wanted it all off and I didn't want it's almost like I felt like that was making her suffer more that she just couldn't I guess relax in a sense they took all of the tubing out of her everything off of her they handed her to me Mm -hmm. she took a deep breath And then she opened her eyes and she looked at me and I held her her in my arms to her very last breath. And I think that as sad as the situation sounds, I don't know if I would change that particular experience for anything because I was the one who held her like a normal baby. And the experience for me was, quote, as normal as possible as I wanted it to be. and. She looked at me first. That's right. And she was in my arms when she took her last breath. And I don't think that anybody could take that away for the rest of my life. And I don't think that I would change it.
0: Now, Lauren, you said that her death was in 2014. So where would you say that you are currently on your grief journey?
1: Oh, Actually, it's so strange because obviously i had immediate grief um, but the grief made sense like i had something tangible to say okay i'm upset because of this i'm have i'm depressed because of this i had ta- tangible grief but in the next few years so many things happened in our life i kind of think that i didn't really allow myself to grieve properly um you know, after I had her, I came home, I put myself through, um, like an online insurance school. I still had my son, Nate was three, I think at the time, you know, and like I got busy and I just don't think I allowed myself to heal. And it wasn't until a couple of months after that, you know, the guy that was my boss at the time was like, go, go home. He was like, I'm not firing you, but you, he was like, I can tell, like, you just need to, you need to go home and Take care of yourself. And I did. And started a different job a couple months later. Um, I would say like 2014 was pretty rough. Like in, in general, I had multiple surgeries that year. So in January, when I after I had Leah, I ended up having like sinus surgery. I had a detached retina, which is completely random. I had to have surgery for that. I ended up getting pregnant again around October. I had a miscarriage right before Christmas. So in that whole year, things were on. just not any in any type of stability um I actually don't remember a whole lot of things because I don't think I took the time to really grieve like I should have even though I was like okay well it makes sense I'm sad because of this it's not like I took the time to take care of that um do you have advice for other moms sure Uh, um, in relation to that I'll give an example so that Christmas I remember not really wanting to go do Christmas stuff, you know, and I had people tell me, well, but you need to go, but you need to go, but you need to go. And I'll look back and think, I wish I'd just, I would have listened to myself and taken the time to do what I needed to do and not listen to everybody else. Of course, that was 8 years ago and I just did not know. Not that I didn't know things, but I do think things were different as far as mental health goes from now compared to then. And um I wish I would have taken the time to really let my heart heal and not and not thought that being busy was the answer and not pushing myself to do more things or to do whatever, whatever it was in my mind. I thought, Oh, if I'm just busy, I won't think about it. And I wish I knew that that was not really the answer, even though it is nice sometimes to be busy, right? You know, because it doesn't make you think as much. However, I wish that I would have handled things a little bit differently, specifically in the beginning and then maybe, the end result maybe wouldn't have been so bad.
0: Now you have other children. I
1: do. I actually, uh, my little Griff, he's six. He's my rainbow baby. I found out I was pregnant with him on Leah's first birthday. Wow. Um, so I felt like she was kind of giving me a gift That's and gross. I was happy
0: and terrified all at the same time. I'm sure. How was that for you? Um, because, you know, we often hear of that um, oftentimes with moms, you know, just yeah, finding out you're pregnant again and yes, the Yes, I don't think
1: a lot of people really talk about that anxiety level that you get when you're expecting again after a loss. And I don't think I told anybody I was pregnant until I was like 19 weeks. Like, I didn't make it public knowledge. My family knew, obviously, my husband knew. I've a couple of close friends of mine, I actually had a friend of mine was like, you need to start telling people because it does not look like you just ate Taco Bell. And I was like, oh no, I think it's time, you know. Um. But my pregnancy for him wasn't great. And I think that made things even more scary for you. Yeah. I um, think around 15 weeks, I hemorrhaged and I, my placenta was trying to detach. So like in my mind, I knew I was like, this is, this is it, you know, and. By the grace of God, there he was, still in there, heart beating fast. And, you know, I also think that, unfortunately, other people don't know how to help you sometimes, too. You know, they try their best to kind of cheer you on and cheer you up, but it's not always the right thing. And um, I think having a great support system is huge, especially if you're trying to conceive again. Or find out that you're pregnant again, letting your anxiety and your feelings be valid, you know, and them saying, I totally understand why you feel this way. You know, I think that's huge if someone can validate your feelings because that also helps you validate your own feelings because you question, like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I doing this? But to have a good support system that validates your feelings, I do think helps you validate your own feelings as well.
0: Absolutely. So what are some ways that you keep her memory and name alive to this day?
1: Well, every, well, some things have changed. Every year for her birthday, we always have pizza and king cake. And we go to the gravesite, and this is what this is kind of funny. Um, we used to write messages on balloons and let the balloons go. My oldest son, who is 11 now, has recently told me that that is a hazard to the marine life in case the balloons pop in the ocean around the ocean. So we don't do that part anymore. He's a smarty (laughs) pants, so um, we still do pizza and king cake, um, we do that every year, and we have books that are great books if anybody um one of them is called we were going to have a baby but we got an angel instead and that's great if you already have a child at home and then there is I guess you would call it like a sister book to that if you have children children after your loss it's called someone that came before you I can't think of the author but we've read those books several times um I do have a picture of her by my nightstand so my kids see her. We have a, a memory book that we read. And, when, and I don't, they always choose. I let it be kind of put the ball in their court. Like if they have questions, we answer them. If they want to look at the book, we look at it. But we talk, you know, we talk about her and when her birthday's coming up, we get excited about her birthday and it's interesting to see as time goes on that my younger children have questions too. Right. But I think there's it's so nice to find the joy in having my oldest son tell them the story because it's the things that we explained to him as he got older too. So he and sits, now he could share it. Yes, with his he siblings. sits down with them and they share that special time talking about her. It's you know also can be confusing, especially my the my youngest is four, so she has more I think. In her little mind, it's harder for her to understand. Um, but my six-year-old, he's getting to where he's grasping more of the concept, and you know, and they have, kids have good questions. So sometimes you got to be prepared. To you like, really do have to. How be prepared? do I answer these Absolutely. questions? Absolutely,
0: yeah. So, any advice that you could give to a mom who is attempting to conceive? I know your rainbow baby kind of came after, and you weren't really.
1: I I know that one's hard because I don't think that we were trying. I I'll I will tell you this, because we, we did talk about it, but it was more kind of like we weren't sure at that time if we wanted more children. So we kind of talked adoption and things like that. We just went through the list, like just had a conversation about how we feel about the future.
0: Um, so definitely open communication. between. Absolutely. I don't husband.
1: think like it's anything immediate that needs to to happen because you know, when your body heals it needs to heal, but the I think we forget to some things that we're going through mentally can also affect our body physically. And if you're not healed mentally, sometimes you're not all the way healed physically either. Um, so I would definitely take that into consideration a lot of prayer because we pr- we prayed a lot and um one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on that was one of those little God winks too, was they wanted us to do genetic testing and I made the appointment, but I was very uneasy about it. And I I actually, actually like accidentally missed the appointment and me and my, my husband and I were talking, I was like, you know, I don't think I want to do it because I didn't want to have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word I'm looking for, but I can't think of it. I didn't want to have someone tell me, like, okay, this is your chance. You know, if you do this, this may—I wanted it to be uh, more—I have that hope, and I have that faith, and when it happens, and if it happens, then it's going to happen. I didn't want that—the statistics to be—to lead my life, if that makes sense. I wanted it—I wanted it to be faith-led. Right. And I think that was a big decision that we made together that we just weren't going to reschedule it and we were just going to kind of see what happens and if it was in our cards to have more children than we would. And I think that that's a hard thing, especially for, you know, our generation because they want that immediate satisfaction and they want control and they they want to know all of the things. Sometimes not knowing all of the things is... is is better in my opinion for me
0: it was kind of distrusting and sometimes just just letting letting go and trusting is hard
1: yes and um you know just talk to your spouse and have open communication and do that for as long as you need to don't put a time limit on your life I mean you have the not the rest of your life but there is time don't that's just how I feel just don't put a timeline on everything And really focus on, if you don't have other children, being a a great spouse with good communication and being there for each other. And then if you do have children, you know, being there for them. And I think things just kind of, they'll fall into place. Regardless if you're ready or, you know, not, they will.
0: Well, Any encouraging words you can give to a mom who has experienced the loss, whether recent or several years ago?
1: I would say, um, you know, if it's been recent, give yourself time. Um, Because time is not going to make it go away. It's not. And I can tell you that from experience. I have had um, years later kind of a, strange wave of grief come back because then you hit milestones and sometimes you're not prepared for them you know and not to expect that to happen but know that it it could you know i feel like i kind of had this wave of grief come back after my last baby and i realized like okay this is probably going to be my last baby and then um the same year Leah would have started kindergarten or pre-k I think it was and then like something I don't remember oh I remember what it was that same year after that my oldest son Nate he was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome OCD ADHD just a plethora of things and I feel like all of those things happened kind of very closely together and then that wave hit me again so just be I think just having an open mind and like I said before, like having a good support system that if you can tell people how you're feeling and they validate your feelings, I think that's the biggest thing in the world right now is to have somebody like that in your life. If you have multiple people, that's fantastic. But, you know, having that somebody that you know that you can go to and tell them that you're feeling this a uh, type of way and them not, well, at least whatever, I hate, I hate at least, I could talk about that phrase forever, but, um, you know, someone that tells you, oh my gosh, I can totally understand why you feel that, or, well, it makes sense that you're feeling this way, so, just the validation, yes, like you find said. someone that knows that your feelings are real, and that they're okay to have them, I just think that that's, that's, and therapy helps too,
0: <laughs> right, Right, well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. You gave such great information that I know, um, will help so many moms who are listening or at different stages in their grief journey. And we really appreciate you taking You're the welcome. time. I,
1: um, I always say like if I could, just help one person or touch somebody, you know, I think that. Sometimes people like to hear what I like have to say. And um, I do believe that God has given me a voice in many different different ways. So, you know, I love to support Maddie's Footprints and do fundraisers for them or whatever I can do because there's so many people out there who have experienced loss and maybe they don't feel like they can express how they feel or feel comfortable talking to somebody. So by hearing someone else talk, maybe that gives them, if it gives them a little bit of peace,
0: Absolutely.
1: You know, or courage, whatever it is it gives them. I think that it's it's worth sharing my story.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lauren. You're welcome.